the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Hello and welcome to day two of this special run of London International Shipping Week podcast from Lloyd's List. Reflecting as we are this week on the state of Maritime UK, it would be remiss of us not to feature one of the podcast's more regular guests and the man at the centre of British shipping for the past three years, Mr Bob Sanguinetti. Bob steps down from his role of UK Chamber of Shipping Chief Executive next week, having managed to squeeze an awful lot into his three-year tenure at the Chamber, dealing with everything from international security incidents to the minor matter of Brexit. But he couldn't leave without one last appearance on the podcast to reflect on the issues he's been grappling with, his views on the state of British shipping, and, of course, some thoughts for the future. Welcome to the podcast, Bob Sanguinetti. Welcome back to the podcast, I should say. I'm hoping this is not going to be the last, but this is certainly going to be your last podcast uh, at the head of the UK Chamber of Shipping, because after three years uh, in post, you are leaving us. Um, and I thought it'd be an interesting opportunity, particularly given that it is London International Shipping Week, to uh, reflect on your time. It's um, it's it's only been a three-year stint, but it has been rather eventful. It felt longer. I had to check that. It is only three years. You, you've kind of taken the helm at, at one of the most interesting points, I would say, of the industry's sort of recent history, but particularly here in the UK. I think your your tenure will be defined by Brexit to a greater or lesser extent. Um, but before we move on to that, I mean, you know, how, how would you characterise British shipping uh, as, as you leave it? Uh, have you left British shipping in a better place, do you think? I, I would like to think that um, uh, British shipping is better um, represented and better understood uh, by the public, uh, by the politicians, by the decision makers um, uh, and in, in general. Um, um, in terms of the chamber membership, uh, we've grown in size, which I'd like to think is a reflection of uh, the value that our members feel we provide them with. Um, we've worked extremely hard with our members to uh, raise the profile of shipping, uh, to um, improve on our uh, lobbying and try and um, get government traction and government support on a number of issues. And I'm very happy to dive into, into those in a bit more detail. Um, and uh, in trying to grow the amount of uh, shipping related business that's taking place uh, in and from the UK. Mm. All, all, all taken and all completely understood. Um, and not to sound too negative, but the, the, the Brexit process has seen certainly the UK flagged element of shipping reduced. We've seen a number of problems. We've It's not been a, 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 an easy ride for you. I mean, how do you how do you characterise the Brexit process in your view? Has has it, has the British uh, maritime sector uh, got itself back on track after a, a, a turbulent period? Do you think? Well, I I, I, th I think what, what I would say about um, Brexit and uh, UK shipping uh, and shipping in general actually is um, it's it, it's reinforced the flexibility, the inherent flexibility. Uh, of shipping. Um, and whether it's Brexit or whether it's the response to uh, COVID-19, uh, what we've seen is uh, shipping uh, react to a pretty uh, substantial and uh, in, in, in some cases unexpected changes. And uh, notwithstanding that, continued to deliver um, servicing the logistics supply chains um, 
uh, regionally and uh, internationally. Um, if we look first of all at the uh, at the Brexit picture, I think what we've seen is is pretty much what we predicted. Uh, there's been a readjustment of, uh, of supply routes. Uh, we've seen some new routes pop up or some new routes um, expanded, uh, others reduced. Uh, but by and large, uh, freight continues to flow between uh, the continent and uh, the UK. Um, our objective right the way through had been to uh, to lobby for an outcome, regardless of the politics, uh, that uh, would not make um, uh, logistics or shipping uh, any uh, more cumbersome the, the, than it needs to be. I think we've seen some friction points. We saw that at the start uh, in um, in the short sea route in the, the, the south uh, uh, in the channel. Um, uh, we've seen pinch points in um, in the Irish Sea, and that continues to this day, and I suspect will continue for some time to come. But um, against all that, uh, shipping companies, uh, freight companies uh, have uh, adapted to a changing backdrop and continue to deliver the goods. And we've seen exactly the same uh, through the pandemic, uh, where we saw massive changes in um, supply and demand uh, as, uh, first of all, China went into lockdown and subsequently when the rest of the world went into lockdown. And nonetheless, notwithstanding um, what's been uh, very well uh, articulated and documented regarding uh, some of the uh, challenges in the supply chain, 90% um, of our goods continue to be delivered by sea. Um, mm. Where does that leave uh, the role of, of the UK internationally? I, I think when, when I use the term UK shipping, uh, I use it quite loosely uh, and deliberately uh, because internet, uh, shipping is very much, uh, as, as your listeners uh, well know, is very much an international business. But if uh, we want to be able to influence uh, on the international stage, we need to have a strong foundation for shipping and shipping related business in the UK. And I think um, we've seen that endure in the three months that uh, in the three years that I've been here uh, through the crises that uh, that we've already uh, talked about. Well, let's talk about that relationship, because it's fair to say that, you know, the the, the maritime business aspect of your role is, is, is the easy part. It's, it's the politics and the diplomacy that come with it. And that, I would say, objectively has got harder over your tenure. Shipping has struggled with successive UK governments, and although we've seen benign noises made by a changing cast of junior ministers landed with the maritime brief on their way up or down the uh, Westminster hierarchy, I, it's never really been a priority, as far as I can tell, in the UK. What do you? How would you sort of characterise the, the the current um, prioritisation of of shipping within the UK political sector? Well, I, I think we're uh, we're seeing the, the 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 benefits, if you like, of the increased profile that shipping has enjoyed through the Brexit process and through uh, COVID-19. Um, I would say that the uh, relationship between the, the UK government and uh, the Department for Transport in particular and the shipping industry is uh, rock solid. Um, and uh, I can't think of uh, uh, an occasion in the past where it's been as strong as it has been. Uh, and you, you could say that uh, some of that is by necessity because we've had to work extremely closely uh, both on Brexit and COVID-19. But I think we've seen uh, very positive results coming out of that. So, uh, for example, in um, uh, in, in COVID-19, we, we saw 
the, the support that uh, we managed to secure from the government for the ferry operators at the start of the pandemic, um, when uh, passengers um, stopped traveling. Uh, we've seen uh, the UK government take a leadership role in promoting uh, the well-being, the welfare of seafarers, not just nationally, but internationally, and in uh, giving seafarers uh, essential worker status to facilitate uh, crew changing, repatriation, uh, and so on. And uh, we mustn't forget the support that we've enjoyed from the UK government in uh, allowing uh, the cruise sector uh, to restart domestically initially and now internationally against a really, really challenging backdrop that we've all had to deal with uh, for the last 18 months. So um, in, in terms of the strength of the relationship, uh, it could not be stronger, I don't think. And we are very grateful for the government, uh, the government's support uh, over the last three years uh, and, and in particular during my tenure. But I, I do think that there is scope for greater support, particularly or specifically uh, on climate change and decarbonisation. Um, uh, we, we have seen uh, the Clean Maritime Plan, uh, Maritime 2050, uh, most recently the Transport uh, Decarbonisation Plan. Uh, so it's great to see a plan, but I, uh, what, what I would be calling the government on uh, or calling the government for now would be uh, for, for, for a closer relationship, greater financial support um, to the extent that we've seen in other transport sectors uh, and in, in wider industry. And when you look at, for example, the car industry and you look at the aviation sector, uh, they have uh, enjoyed much more financial support. And I don't mean free handouts. I, I, I mean uh, things like um, uh, match funding, um, uh, incentives um, for those who are uh, taking the risk and perhaps uh, becoming um, uh, first movers uh, in developing new technologies and so on. Uh, we've seen that excessively uh, in other sectors. Uh, we're seeing it, for example, uh, in uh, heating for houses, in the provision of infrastructure for electric cars and so on, uh, we need to see a step up um, uh, uh, of a similar magnitude uh, in maritime if the UK is to retain its leadership role, which I think uh, uh, is extremely important, uh, not just um, uh, practically, but also financially uh, for the country. Mm. And you, you speak of a strong relationship between uh, Chamber and the Department for Transport and shipping and the Department for Transport, and I certainly see evidence of that. But generally speaking, in government, I think there is still the accusation that it is blind to the maritime sector generally. The Department for Transport does not uh, uh, get that much traction at, at a senior level, and we have seen that. Uh, play out in terms of the crewing crisis and its ability to, you know, get top-level support. We've seen it in, as you've mentioned, uh, a lack of comparative financial support compared to other sectors. Is that just because maritime is not a priority compared to other sectors? Do you think, or is there a more deep-seated, uh, you know, issue in terms of the way in which uh, shipping and the maritime sector is generally prioritised in terms of, uh, you know, political day-to-day -day activity? I would say it's it's an issue of, of visibility, uh, and I and I think um, uh, the public at large, uh, I think politicians uh, clearly uh, see more of uh, of cars and trucks and lorries and see more of, uh, of planes uh, from the days when um, one can uh, travel more freely than we can at the moment uh, than they do of, uh, of of ships. So um, I would say that to, to an extent, 
uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind as far as shipping is concerned. But 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 I, I do strongly believe that that's changing and it's changing as a result of, as I said earlier on, of the profile that shipping has enjoyed and the importance that uh, that is now attached to shipping um, when we go through um, events like um, Brexit or uh, COVID-19. Um, mm. I, I don't think, um, uh, I, well, I, I, I think you know, just quoting the, um, the, the example of uh, the uh, container ship ever given uh, being stuck in the Suez Canal, um, that enjoyed a huge amount of uh, a profile and interest for what was um, a, 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 simple, um, a simple incident uh, but it had far-reaching consequences, and uh, you know it reminds people that uh, when they press click on uh, uh, on Amazon or on some other uh, some other website, uh, that uh, the goods that they're ordering is coming from somewhere else uh, in the world and is more than likely to be coming by sea. And if we want to influence the way that uh, the global logistics chain develops um, in uh, in in months and years to come then we need to do that from a position of strength as a key maritime nation, which I firmly believe we are, but with scope to do more and do better, particularly on the issue of decarbonisation. Mm. Reminded the general public, but also I would argue probably highlighted the profile of the issue of supply chain robustness to a political class that otherwise probably wouldn't have noticed too much about shipping. Well, but, but I, I think, again, that's a, uh, perhaps you can say that we're... Uh, uh, we're victims of our own success um, uh, because you know, day in, day out, for 90, 95 percent of the time, um, the, the, the logistics chain is uh, is is um, is operating smoothly and um, things arrive on time and supermarket shelves are full up. Uh, and when you order something, it, uh, it's delivered uh, within days uh, or weeks, depending on where it's coming from. Um, when that's not the case, as we've seen recently for a number of reasons, uh, then that alerts um, the public uh, and uh, and politicians uh, to the fact that actually it's it's important that we do take an interest in uh, how uh, these goods are transported and that we make sure that uh, that the UK plays a key part in uh, in designing uh, the the logistics change for the future. No, so, and you mentioned decarbonisation uh, as as one of the sort of key examples of a political issue that requires uh, a. a an international response. Do you think that Britain's position outside of Europe uh, weakens its ability to deal with issues like decarbonisation? Um, I, I, I don't think personally, I, I don't think it does. Um, I, I don't think our, our voice is any more uh, or less diminished by the fact that the UK is no longer in the EU. Um, the UK is a valued member of uh, the international community and in the maritime uh, domain of the IMO. Um, your listeners don't need reminding that the IMO is based in the UK, which uh, clearly gives us uh, some advantage. Um, but I think we are respected as a maritime nation because of uh, our values, uh, because of um, uh, our, our history and uh, with the contribution that we've made to uh, international shipping uh, in the past um, and to the fact that we take uh, issues affecting the shipping industry seriously, whether that be uh, the welfare of individuals, as we saw through COVID-19, or, or whether it's with how to deal uh, with the climate change challenge that, uh, that, that we're all facing. Uh, and, and I would encourage the UK government to 
uh, in turn encourage the IMO to be bolder in its aspirations, bolder in its targets, um, uh, that we will be listened and listened to and taken more seriously if we're doing uh, the decarbonisation piece ourselves. And that's why I think it's important that nationally we work more closely across the public and private sectors um, with the really bright brains that we have uh, in uh, the UK uh, and linking uh, all the stakeholders from um, uh, academics, uh, the R&D um, community, uh, uh, ship owners and shipbuilders and government working together to come up with the new technologies for the future, which we will absolutely need in order to meet the targets that we set ourselves for 2050. Uh, so, so I think there's both a national and an international dimension, but shipping is absolutely an international business and the solutions have to be found uh, and, uh, and the targets have to be set internationally. So having uh, trading systems, for example, pop up nationally or regionally, all they do is distract the international community from the job at hand and distort um, or upset the level playing field uh, that we strongly believe is absolutely essential uh, for shipping to flourish as an international business. Mm. Now, you're not leaving shipping. You are following the sunshine and uh, going to the Aberdeen Harbour Board. Uh, uh, but, I mean, what would be your uh, advice or, or wish, I guess, for your successor in terms of uh, what happens next within uh, both the UK Chamber, but also British shipping generally? Well, uh, um, thank you for reminding me about uh, about the changing weather. I, uh, I I practice what I what I preach when it comes to climate change, and I came from Gibraltar via London, and now I'm going to Aberdeen. Uh, but but actually, you know, I, I I'll be. Uh, it, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I will be sad when I leave the chamber, uh, but I'm also very excited um, at the prospect and and, uh, and privileged uh, at the prospect of being able to be a part of the delivery of uh, energy transition from uh, from oil and gas to to, to renewables, which uh, which Aberdeen is extremely well uh, placed to, uh, uh, to 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 play host to. Um, but my, my my message to my successor is um, that the. Uh, the, the, the one that I started with earlier on, the, the, the enduring theme, the enduring message is uh, one of addressing climate change. Um, shipping uh, has done well, is doing well, but has a long, long way to go. Um, it can only be done through uh, extremely close cooperation and collaboration between all the stakeholders, uh, both in government and across the industry. And the UK Chamber uh, with the reputation that it enjoys, with the credibility, with the, the breadth of representation, is extremely well placed uh, to uh, play a pivotal part in, um, in shaping, in developing those relationships, in identifying the key issues and in holding government to task over delivering on the targets that uh, we face over the next uh, uh, 30 or so years. Wonderful. Well, we hope you will be coming back on the podcast, uh, albeit from a slightly more drizzly location next time. But uh, for now, uh, UK Chamber of Shipping Chief Executive Bob Sanguinetti, thank you for joining the Lawyers of this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard.